Hey Icon, Pastor Justin here, and uh, today is one of the most important Sundays uh, in the history of Icon. Uh, this is our Revision Sunday, and uh, and this is a it's a big deal. And I'm really excited that you're here. Glad you're watching. There is a lot going on, a lot of transition that we're dealing with. I, I assume you've all heard by now uh, that this summer my family is going to be transitioning out of Seattle, uh, moving to Southern California, likely the Los Angeles area. Um, I am going to continue to be engaged, continue to get a pre fly up a couple times a month to preach, to lead the teams, uh, lead the staff, and be very engaged through the rest of the year. Uh, but we are making a transition of leadership of Icon from me to Josh Searcy. That's the plan. And so we want to take a moment in the midst of all this transition to kind of reset the vision uh, for the rest of this year and into the future, as well as call you to commitment. So I, I do want to let you know that up front, that the end of this, the call to action in this thing is to make a commitment, make a decision about your involvement with ICON, because we got a lot to do. We got a lot ahead of us. We got a lot to accomplish uh, our mission, our vision. It's a, there's a lot of work to do and we need all hands on deck. So that's what we're going to talk about really quickly. I want to give a little bit of background on how we got here. So in 2016, my family moved up to the Seattle area to be a part of Doxa Church in Bellevue. And that was always going to be a two to three year season for me to help them uh, make some changes and some transitions. And then we were going to figure out what the next thing was. Well, in late 2018, we began to really think and pray about what that next thing was. And we felt like the Lord was telling us, do the next right thing. And for us, what we knew, even though for, especially for my wife, that that was going to be a challenging decision, we knew that the next right thing was to plant Icon Church. And so we did. We left Docs at the end of 2018 and started 2019 beginning to form a core group and gather with people and raise money and set vision and all of that for a fall 2019 launch. And that's what we did. So Labor Day weekend, had a big party and launched the church. And then six months later, COVID happened. So we spent the first six months of our church growing and training leaders and reaching people, and it was fantastic. And then March of 2020, as you all know, or if you don't know, I don't know what you've been doing, uh, COVID-19 hit, and so we spent the next year online only. And, and two things emerged from that season that are that bear repeating. One is that our team at that time pivoted so quickly and so seamlessly to online worship. So could not give enough credit to Alona and Paolo and Che and Luke Skinner at that time who helped make that transition so seamless and so well. It was really remarkable. And our church hung with us. You all hung with us through that entire year and have continued to hang with us. And so you engaged online, you continue to engage in groups, you continue to give and serve where able. And it was kind of an amazing moment where we got to the end of 2020 and felt way better about where we were than we ever could have imagined if someone would have said, you'll spend the first six months planting the church and the next nine online, right? We were in great shape. 
But it was also about that time that my wife Emily and I started to really think and pray about how sustainable Seattle was going to be for our family. So Emily has always really struggled with the weather and the darkness, the distance from family. We're thousands of miles away from our family and all of that together combined to create a really difficult scenario for her. And every winter it would just get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And this winter was the worst ever. And no doubt COVID had something to do with that, but we just began to ask ourselves a question is, can we do this anymore in a healthy, thriving way for our family? So with lots of prayer and lots of conversation and talking to mentors and supporters and friends and family, we did make the decision that we need to make that transition. And so as things transition now from my leadership to Josh's, we want to take this Sunday to talk about what's going to change and what's never going to change. And so my job today is to tell you what's never going to change. And then Josh is going to come up here in a moment and talk about what some of the, the kind of fresh vision or fresh implications of his leadership are going to look like for Icon. So, First, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 to 23. If you've been with us, you have heard me preach this passage a couple of times because it is our foundational passage as a church. So, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. Who is He? Jesus. Right? That's a pretty good guess. Anytime in church somebody asks a question, just go Jesus, and you got a, probably an 80-20 chance. In fact, I might try it at work, too. When people are asking questions, just go, Jesus? I don't know. Maybe open some doors for evangelism. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, there's a theme that you might have picked up here, which is that all things are from and for and held together by Jesus. He is the center of the universe. He is the center of our faith. He is the center of our church. There is literally nothing more important than this. Jesus not icon, Jesus. Icon is a conduit of the message of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, but Jesus lies at the center. It's why we're here. It's why we planted this church because we looked at Seattle and said, it doesn't need more Justin. If anything, it needs less, right? It doesn't need more icon. It doesn't need more church. It needs more Jesus, right? And so from the very beginning, we've said, listen, this, this is the vision. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, you might ask, why is this our foundational passage? Well, because that first sentence, he is the image. That word in the Greek is a cone, also translated icon. 
right? That we are image bearers of God, that we are icons of God, his representatives here on earth, but there is only one true image bearer. There is only one true icon. There is only one who has perfectly represented God, and that's Jesus. And he is why we are here. And I hope he is why you are here. Because what you need the most is Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're not a Christian, what you need most is Jesus. And, and this has informed our, our philosophy of ministry to a great degree, right? We talk all the time about wanting a low barrier of entry to connection here at ICON because what people need is Jesus. And so if we're putting up any obstacle or any barrier between them and Jesus, we are fools. So we're saying no barrier to, we want this to be the easiest place to connect. We want it to be the most hospitable place in Seattle, which, you know, is not a high bar, of course, to be a hospitable place in Seattle, but we want to be the kind of place that when people walk in, our leaders and our people are looking around going, who is the most uncomfortable person in the room? I'm going to go talk to them and maybe make them more uncomfortable, but for a totally different reason, right? We want to have eyes for the lost, eyes for the uncomfortable, eyes for those who just need Jesus, and we don't want to put any barriers in their way. So this has informed our vision for community groups. It's informed our vision for community at large. We just want it to be easy to connect to Jesus and the people of Jesus. So that's one. Jesus is at the center. Two, verse 19. It says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So this is the goal of Jesus, this is the work of Jesus, to reconcile and make peace. Now, reconcile and make peace with whom? Verse 21. And you, you, I see you, you, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Maybe you're doing them right now, right? He says, you who were alienated from God, hostile to God in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. This is this is the love of Jesus for you. That he looked at you and said, you are alienated from me, alienated from God. You are hostile to me in your mind, as so many in Seattle are, and you are doing evil deeds. What's the solution? Wipe you out? Ignore you? Mock you? Judge you? No. Die for you. Die for you. This is the goal. This is Jesus's heart for you. This is Jesus's purpose for you to be reconciled back to God for peace to be made. Now, here's how we think about this. One, Jesus has done this once and for all on the cross, that in him you are reconciled. Peace has been made and you have to be continually reconciled and continually make peace with God because you continually make war with him. 
right? So those of you who are married know how this works. You might have a fight with your wife. You might make war with her. And then you have to be reconciled. You have to make peace. You, it doesn't, you know, uh, having a fight doesn't undo your marriage vow, but it does require you to come back together and to be reconciled to one another. So every time you have to, you make war, then you also have to make a little love too, right? <laughs> and so this is, this is the vision, right? Like you were made for reconciliation. You were made for peace with God. You were made to be the image bearer he made you to be. But that takes process, that takes work, that takes proactive, intentional action, which is why proactive, intentional discipleship is a core piece of what we do, and that will never change, right? So when you get injured, you have to, like in sports, you get an injury, you have to go do rehab. You have to rehabilitate whatever injury, whatever muscle you have injured, or whatever bone you have injured. But there's this new movement in sports towards prehab, prehabilitation, so that there, if there is an area of weakness in an athlete's body, they will work to strengthen that area before it gets injured. This is what we mean by proactive discipleship. Right? Most discipleship happens in response. It's reactive. Somebody at work asks you a question you don't know the answer to. There's an information gap. Right? You have a relationship go sideways and there's a relational gap. You need to figure out how to reconcile. There's some horrible experience, some pain, some hurt, some experience gap that happens and you need to make sense of it. You need to figure out how to respond to it. That's reactive discipleship. What we want to do and what we are doing through icon groups and other means is to say, let's get out in front of that stuff. Let's give you a biblical worldview. Let's give you, uh, let's inform you about things like sexuality and gender, which is an ongoing dialogue in the workplace today. So that when one of your coworkers asks you a question, it's not, there's not this information gap of like, oh no, I need help. It's no, I know this. I've prehabbed this answer. I know this stuff. Or when a relationship's starting to go sideways, you know how to apply the gospel to it so that it can get back on track. Or you are practicing regular rhythms of Sabbath life so that your work experience never gets to go sideways. It's just good because you're practicing good rhythms and you have good theology of work. So again, this forms our practice. This commitment to Jesus being the center makes us have a low barrier to entry so that as many people can connect to Jesus as possible. This idea that discipleship is our, well, this Greek word that I love to use, you're going to miss this when I'm gone. This our telos, our purpose, our end for which we exist, right? That we orient that uh, in our ministry so that you are getting the kind of proactive discipleship you need. And three, verse 22. Again, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him if indeed, if indeed, if indeed can be a very scary phrase if what comes before it is something you really want and what comes after it is something really difficult. Right? That's where if indeed becomes some of the scariest words in the whole Bible, right? You are reconciled and made peace with and you are brought near to God if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
So notice what Paul is not saying here, and it's something he, he not says in a bunch of different places. What he's not saying is, you're saved if you continue to obey. That your, your, the love of God, the grace of God, your salvation is conditional or dependent upon your action of staying faithful. That's not what he's saying. Because it doesn't work with all the verb tenses and all that. And I don't have time to unpack it all. But it just doesn't work. Here's what he's saying. This is true about you. And the evidence of that truthfulness is you are reconciled. You have, God has made peace. Christ has made peace between you and God. If the evidence of that is that you will not shift from the hope you have in the gospel. That as you look out into the future, you will always entrust yourself of course not perfectly, of course not up all up into the right, stronger and stronger and stronger. There's moments of weakness, moments of doubt. We're asking questions, we're learning and growing. That's all assumed. But the fundamental shift never, or your, your, your fundamental hope never shifts from the gospel to something or someone else, right? Our hope is in Jesus. Our purpose is to be image bearers of God. And, and, and that process takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. It doesn't take earning. This is my favorite Dallas Willard quote. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning, right? That, that, that the work of discipleship, the work of staying faithful, it is effort, right? It, it's not just nothing. We don't just sit there and allow it to happen to us. There's effort, but we can do nothing to earn the grace of God, the love of God that's been given to us in Christ on the cross. So the call of Paul here is to stay focused on the main thing, to not shift our hope from the gospel. Which means this, all of what we have set out to do is possible because of Jesus. Every, every ounce of our vision, every bit, every detail of our mission is possible, even worth talking about because of Jesus. Not because of me, not because of Josh, not because of any particular leader or building or initiative or program or philosophy, none of it. It's Jesus. That's it. 100%. It's not even 99% Jesus, 1% something else. It's 100% Jesus. And guess what? That never changes. Never will. It couldn't possibly. But we will never let it change. We'll never let our eyes drift away from the centrality of the power of Jesus to accomplish what Jesus wants to do. So, as I look out into Icon's future, my hope and, and, the, and the, the best predictor of future success is not whether it's me or it's Josh or our team. Let me be clear, I believe in Josh and I believe in our team and I believe in our leaders, but the single greatest predictor of future success is going to be our people's commitment to Jesus and Jesus's mission. This will rise and fall on that. So, this is my call today. This is my, this is my call to action, my call to commitment. Commit to Jesus. Commit to Jesus' work and Jesus' mission and Jesus' capacity and power to accomplish it. And commit to doing it here with us, with each other, 
Not with me, not with Josh, not with some particular staff member or leader, but us, the community of people who together rely on Jesus to accomplish our mission. So with that, I want to invite Josh up to talk a little more. The Bible is one long story in which the whole plot centers around the reality of God's desire to be with his people. It's a story in which we see how the great lengths to which God is willing to go in order to be with his people. And that's all throughout scripture from the very beginning to the very end. You see that the high points in the story of the Bible all have to do with the presence of God being with his people. And then the low moments when it seems like things are all falling apart, they are all marked by the absence of or the refusal of God's presence. Moses, his, his fear on Mount Sinai is, is centered around the reality of, or the possibility of having to go forward with the people of God without the presence of God. The, the courage that God commanded Joshua to have all centered around the reality and the promise that God would be with him. David, in his repentance, has this one single cry of, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And then even more, David identifies for him, uh, for himself, the, the call that God has given him on his life. What does he say? You've said to seek your face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. The, the prophetic call of Isaiah is all about the, the Israelites coming out from under the, the gods of the nations and returning to the promises of a God who is with them. A real God who is living and near to them, who wants to meet with them. And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene and his whole ministry is one long shout that Jesus is here. The kingdom is here. God has returned to his people and it is time for you to respond rightly. Jesus in his life with the disciples is this constant reorientation for them around living in the presence of God, around living with a knowledge that God wants to be with his people. And the very death and resurrection of Jesus is done in order that, as Paul says, as this great act of reconciliation to bring us back to God. The book of Acts is started and sustained by the ministry of the Holy Spirit with the church. And then the Bible ends on the highest of notes. That God comes to return in Jesus Christ and will be with his people forever. That's the great hope that we as Christians ascribe to. That we hold on to. That we look forward to. That gets us through the difficulty of real life. The Bible is all about living and seeking the presence of God. This is the great hope of Christianity. The message that we try to soak in together and commend to the world is that we are not alone and we don't have to be. We proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified precisely because his death takes away our separation. And so now we live individually and together with the great end of being with our God. Our energy, our vigor in the Christian life is only as strong in as much as we sense the presence of God with us. His care, trusting his attention and his sufficiency. That is what we need. Icon, that reality is what we need 
right now. And it's exactly what we have. I believe with everything in me that this moment in our story together as a church is a great reorienting and a great re-upping on seeking the presence of God in real life. On seeking His presence, His nearness. And, and, and you might think that talking about the presence of God can feel really uh, vaguely spiritual and it's a little ambiguous, but it's not. Seeking the presence of God, wanting to live near to the God who made us, is the most practical thing in the world. You see, when, when we say that our mission statement is to make disciples who follow Jesus faithfully in real life, we are remembering that, that the God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the one whose presence I'm talking about, is all about real life. All of it. He created it. He's the one who is sovereign over your life, determining the direction, the place, and time of your life. The practicalities of your life are determined by God, which means that he is deeply concerned with real life. So when we talk about Icon Church being a church that gives itself to coming before God and seeking his presence, we're not talking about escaping from real life. We're not talking about being a, a mountaintop monk. We are saying with that about bringing our real lives under the care and attention and rule of the presence of God. Seeking the presence of God is the most practical thing you can do. Do you believe that? That the God who created you, who is running and overseeing your real life, that is the God who wants to come into your real life. That's the God who wants to infuse with your life a sense of confidence that he's with you, that he's for you in Jesus Christ, and that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. It's all about real life because bringing our life under the presence of God requires that all of our life, the details, the relationships, the vocation, the direction of your life come under the great reality that God is alive and God is with you, that he sees you, that you are not alone. Making disciples that follow Jesus faithfully in real life looks like taking our real lives and submitting them to the promise and principle of God's presence. Friends, that is where we're headed. That is where we're headed. That's what this whole thing is going to look like moving forward. Our vision and our mission, our ambition for ministry in Seattle remains unchanged. Unchanged. Same year plan, same three-year prayer, same 10-year prayer. All of those things remain unchanged, but the environment in which those things happen, the way in which we're going to think practically and even strategize, is going to revolve entirely around the promise of God to be with us. That is the heartbeat of my life. And that is the principle that will make sense of how I am going to seek to be faithful to you and faithful to God in my call now to be your lead pastor. I am a pastor at heart. I, I mean, Justin are, are, are very different, but we have the same desires for you. 
And that difference is going to work itself out as I lead you and love you and care for you. And you need to know and, that I am a shepherd at heart. I am a pastor who wants to love you deeply, who wants to invite you into the rich life that Jesus has purchased for you. I want to take you to the depths of theology to see how great your God is, to see how coherent and intelligent the Christian worldview is and how that applies to real life. I am not your life coach here to give you life hacks. The call of God on my life The mission that God has identified for me to pursue is to show you the God who has reconciled you to himself and then tease out from him how life is lived in response. To hold up the Bible to you, Icon Church, and say, look at your God. Look at the grace of God that changes how you view yourself. That changes how you treat your spouse, how you speak to the ones that you love. Look at the unending love of God that that keeps you afloat when the tragedies of life strike. Look at the compassionate mercy of God that changes the way that you view justice in our city. My great call, my great passion is to show you, Icon Church, as faithfully as I can, the God who has saved you and the God who wants to be with you and tease out from that what that means for our real life together. God in his wise providence has now intersected the call of God on my life with the story of Icon Church. And it's an intersection that for many of us was uh, shocking and was hard to hear and maybe a little confusing and angering. But it's an intersection that's been made by the wisdom of God. Because of that, I have confidence. Because of that, I feel a deep sense of hope in my bones for us. Friends, our story is far from over. And I want you to hear me say this. I am here with Icon Church for the long haul. I am here with you. My wife and I believe so strongly that because of the painful church history that exists here in Seattle, what Seattle needs almost more than anything is consistency. And we are ready to embrace that consistency in leading and loving Icon Church. Because of that need, because we feel deep down the pain of Seattle's church history and the wounds that are still there, we have committed ourselves to you for the long haul. We are here for this great vision. And here's my call for you in response. Commit yourself to Icon Church for the rest of the year. As we slowly go through this transition, commit yourself to see what could be. Lean lean back in. Commit yourself to joining and being together with the life of your community group. Commit yourself to uh, attending and viewing our online liturgy, but for those who are available and able, to attending our live in-person gathering. It's going to be really hard to make this turn well and in unity if we're not seeing each other's faces when we can. Commit yourself to, con- to continually give generously and sacrificially so that we as an organization can thrive and flourish. And ultimately, commit yourself to what could be. There's still grief to be felt without a doubt. 
And I feel that deeply. I, I rarely feel my own emotions, but I feel the emotions of others really easily. And all the conversations that I've had with you, friends, have been encouraging, but it's also been, it's been my joy to hear the way that you, what, what you're feeling and what you're going through. I have a bleeding heart for those who are in need. I love rich, deep theology, but I also have a bleeding heart to love you and shepherd you well. There's more grief to be felt, without a doubt, and we will feel that faithfully. But there is also hope for the road ahead. And so for the rest of this year, commit yourself to be here at Icon fully. To call Icon Church your home. To see what God is doing and what He is creating. To be patient in hope. It's funny, the, the first sermon that I ever was able to preach to you guys was back in last May when I was still living in Texas and waiting to move up here in COVID. I spoke on the need for the church to live life together in order for us to have peace. And there's a quote in that sermon that I gave that I want to uh, remind you of and kind of use as a closing encouragement that as we move forward in this transition to hope, but to hope in the purposes of God, to be fully founded in hope that our God is good, our God sees and has uh, wisely organized this intersection of my call and icon story, and that he will move us forward with his great presence. Listen to this quote by John Webster on, on patience. The patience of the saints is one of the ways in which the gospel converts us away from our sins and restores us to human fellowship. Impatience eats away at friendship and neighborliness. When we are impatient with our fellows, we refuse to let them be what they are. We want them to think differently, to be capable in the way that we think they ought to be capable, to match our ideas of what they should do and how and when they should do it. Our impatience in the end is a refusal to let our fellows be, a refusal to allow the time and space that they need to fulfill God's calling of them. When I'm impatient, I want my neighbor to exist on my terms, in my space, in my time frame. And so in the end, I lack love, for love is patient. It waits. It looks not to my selfish ideas of what I want from or for my neighbor, but to my neighbor's real end, which is in God. And so patient love lets my neighbor be. That doesn't mean that we are absolved from any responsibility of intervening, sometimes correcting and challenging, but if we do so, it is not to line up our neighbor with our view of what he or she ought to be, but in order to lovingly and patiently promote the purpose of God. Take out the word neighbor in that quote and replace it with icon church. That undoubtedly, this shift, this transition of moving forward into the vision and mission that we still have with a certain environment of seeking the presence of God as our great hope, that will take time. And we must be loving enough to our fellow members at ICON to be patient as we watch this thing shift. To know that it is not about us having what we think we should have. But it's about seeing Icon Church as it is, where it is, and lovingly and patiently promoting the purpose of God. Friends, as we look forward, let's do just that. Patiently waiting because we trust our great God is with us. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you that you have given us the promise of your presence, and that is what we need above everything else. We are not a social club. We are not a club of like-minded people only, but we are your church. And you have promised certain things to your church who's been reconciled to you through Jesus and now lives under your rule and reign in your presence. God, I pray that those of us who call Icon home, we would feel a sense of commitment to seek your face, to love you well, to seek you well, together in our life as Icon. Father, we believe that the way forward is only forward movement if it's with your presence. So God, I say like Moses did, if you won't go with us, then what's the point? But we know that you are. You have promised your very presence. You have given your own son as a foundation and deposit to that promise. So we trust you all the more. Grieving, yes. Feeling all kinds of emotions, yes, but also without contradiction, without, uh, without, without lessening that pain, we also hope in you, our great God, who sees, loves, and invites us into your presence. We entrust these things to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.